the uh, period of COVID lockdown actually was very fruitful and a whole lot of uh, people use that time to recording such as that. That's called Songs from Home that was recorded during a period of lockdown um, about 18 months ago. Last week I commenced the, uh, the sermon with a quote from one of my very best favourite books. I have a lot of very best favourite books. It's quite a long pile. Um, from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He talked about the, uh, the great threat to the church of cheap grace, grace that is taken for granted, grace that comes with no willingness to respond. And I want to start again this week of another quote reflecting, I should make a sort of a collection of great first lines in books. This one comes from a, a book by John V. Taylor called The Go-Between God. It was written in the late 60s, early 70s. And uh, Bishop John V. Taylor came from a background in uh, missionary experience and uh, was then the uh, Federal Secretary of the Church Missionary Society in the United Kingdom. And this is uh, quite a classic book called The, uh, the Go-Between God. And it talks about the, uh, the Holy Spirit in Christian mission. Um, some of you may know Ben Wood, um, John V. Taylor is Ben's grandfather uh, through his mother and uh, the book continues to speak very much into the present time. So what is the, uh, the quote that I think is relevant to our focus on the Holy Spirit? This is what John V. Taylor said. The chief actor in the historic mission of the Christian church is the Holy Spirit. He is the director of the whole enterprise. That song we just heard had the line that without you, it is hopeless. Without the Holy Spirit, the mission of our church is hopeless. But we are not without the Spirit. He continues, the mission consists of things that the Spirit is doing in the world. And in a special way, it consists of the light that he, the Spirit, is focusing upon Jesus Christ. So Spirit is the agent, it is the main actor of mission, and that mission is to highlight the work and the mission of Christ that continues in and through the body of Christ. Now John V. Taylor in his book, argued back in the 1970s that the church had lost sight of the Holy Spirit, made it a very cerebral notion that was spoken of, but wasn't part of the reality of people's uh, gathering and worship and Christian life and walk. And sadly, I think that continues to be the case today, that we still tend to domesticate the Spirit, to reduce the Spirit, to... Uh, terms that are very real but only a very limited part of what we should be expecting or opening ourselves to do. I want to focus on the work of the Spirit as part of the mission of God. You might think as we're having our series now, we've had for a number of months, on understanding the mission of God revealed in the great narrative of Scripture and uh, uh, expressed as shalom as the, in, this, uh, in the sanctuary of God. We might think that we come to Pentecost Sunday, we focus on the Spirit, we're taking a, 
a diversion until we get back to our sermon series. That is not the case. The coming of the Holy Spirit is absolutely front and centre and the lifeblood to the mission of the church. And in particular, the mission of the church in bringing peace, bringing shalom. So with that in view, I want to come in a minute to the, uh, the passage that we're going to focus on, but uh, paint a bit of a background. In our uh, classes on the Thursday night, Friday morning, handling the Bible that a number of people have been doing, Last week I mentioned a little pattern that's good to bear in mind when we approach a passage. And it simply was the big, small, big. Hopefully those who have been doing the class will remember that pattern. Big, small, big. Remember the big picture. We already know something of that big picture, the big narrative of Scripture, God's work in this world that has been uh, continues to develop. We bring it in mind to focusing on the passage in view, then we can step back and look at the big picture again. So let me just model that from our reading of Ephesians. Ephesians started with Paul talking about the gospel using two words, the, the gospel, which is grace and peace, grace and shalom from the God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul launches into that gospel in a long sentence. In the Greek, it goes from verse 3 to verse 14. The bookends of that sentence, that long sentence, it starts with the assurance that how we have received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. And it ends at the, long, the other end of that long sentence with the promise, the assurance of the Holy Spirit that we have received as the down payment for this work of salvation. I talked about the word earnest a few weeks back, is God's pledge, something that is given in earnest as an assurance, as a guarantee of this promise of salvation. In that long sentence, we saw that about ten times the phrase in him, in Christ, through Christ, in the one, time and time again, how God's mission has been progressed in and through the work of Jesus Christ. God has uh, reframed the whole pathway for salvation through the life, the teaching, the example, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's through that work and through the work of the Spirit that Paul then continues. But it isn't just knowing about the work of salvation and urging us to roll up our sleeves and to be part of it. And it's not just about things that we might do. It actually go, needs to go deeper. It isn't just the outward face of the church. Paul continued at the second half of chapter 1 by talking about where the, all this comes from needs to come from the heart. So it talks about how the eyes of the heart are exposed. Our ambitions, our that which we love, that which we worship, that which we think is good and right for us is what shapes our choices and then our actions. 
So this work of salvation is not a, if you like, a whitewash on the outside. It needs to come from deep into who we are. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. And then last week we saw how that begins to express itself through um, the way in which we approach relationships and in particular reconciliation. That's where we left it last week. The mission of God that results in this work of uh, all things being united in Christ into one new humanity, one people. That is God's purpose. The big picture. So let's now come down to the small picture. Let's focus on the passage this morning. God's purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in that one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace, shalom. Now, shalom is both a personal experience. It is a sense of being um, healed, restored, replenished, of being uh, able to flourish. But it is never done in isolation. It is always experienced in the context of a community. So he came and preached shalom to use who are far off and peace to those who were near. Through him we both have access to the Father by the one Spirit. Now this taking peace talks about happens in one body to reconcile both of them. That one body is us. We are the body of Christ. If this is to start anywhere, it needs to start in how we go about our calling in being the people of God. You might recall this cultural custom in New Zealand. And this is a a very much an edited version. Uh, My my online version, I worked on it for an hour and a half and I had to cut it because it was just taking too long. I get uh, so much detail that is of interest. So I'm giving you the shorter version. If you want to know more about the background, do a Google search for the word pafiri. P-O-W-H-I-R-I. And there's a heap of resources, um, YouTube clips, and you can see what it looks like. I'm going to give you a shortened version of what culminates at this moment of the sharing of the hongi. A pathiri is the way in which uh, those who are outsiders, those who are strangers, can approach the marae, which is the village at the centre of pretty much any town or um, uh, village in New Zealand. And you might recall it as a very ornate gate as an entry point. And on the gate, in the carvings, would tell the story of the people who are the people of this village. And you cannot stroll as a guest into that space. That is sacred space on the other side of that gate in front of the meeting house. So a pathiri is a way in which you are welcomed and summoned into that space. And it's a big thing in New Zealand. When any VIPs come, they'll have that um, as soon as they arrive in New Zealand uh, and in different towns and different communities. It's quite an elaborate process. Let me walk you through the process and then give an example of it which shows how it is not just a mere ritual. 
It's very powerful. As you approach, one of the, uh, the female voices of that village, the Māori village, will sing out and beckon you to come. It's a call to come and join us. And it's a very haunting song that, uh, that is given. As you, the, uh, the outsiders, the guests would be out at the gate, they would be, have a host with them who would sing in response to say, we hear your call and in that spirit we approach you and you begin to walk into the, the sacred space on the other side in front of the meeting house. Whereupon you'll be met by a warrior who will come with a spear and look seriously threatening. They teach the, the, uh, the young boys how to be warriors quite young. They take it quite seriously. And you will know what it looks like when you've seen the haka. The challenge of the haka is, are you coming in peace or at war? Because if it's at war, we're ready for you. And the challenge is given. Are you coming in peace or are you coming to cause us harm? And at the end of that, there would be a laying down of a, um, an item. It's usually a branch of a fern or something like that. And if you are coming in peace, you'd come down and pick up that fern together. And then uh, you'll be drawn closer and either be sat down, uh, either in the meeting house or in the, the uh, sacred space in front, and there'll be a series of speeches. So the seniors for the Māori would speak first of all, and tell you the story of our people, those who came before us, our, our trials, our challenges, our delights and our tears. And that will be reinforced by a song. It's known as the kapahaka. They actually have competitions for kapahaka. And uh, they have very dramatic, emotional telling, the story of our people, our ancestors and, those who got, and how we now identify ourselves in this space. And then the visitors are asked to respond in similar kind. Westerners tend to have a very tame version of that telling of the story, but we'll tell who these are, where we've come from. These are our people. And so the exchange of speeches will go until the final speech from the visitors would lay a... Um, got a mental blank on it, but they lay a, a gift down in, in, in front... Sometimes it's a gift of uh, some food, other times it's a gift of some money, an appreciation of sign of respect for the hospitality that has been offered, a koha. And the koha is received. And then you are invited at that point to come, and if you're in two lines, you would come through and shake hands with everyone, would pass and shake hands. And at the end of the process, you then have the hongi, where you share the same air, it's a gesture of saying, we are now equal. You are no longer them. You are now us. We are one at that moment. And then they go into the best part of it all, which is the food. And that could often be quite a celebration of the food that follows. Now, that's a lovely cultural ritual. And if you go to some of the tourist places, you can see it. But there's also enacted in very much everyday terms. Let me now give you an example of how powerful that symbolism is through the story of Rebecca Gibney. Many of you may know Rebecca Gibney, the actress in Pact of the Rafters and so on. Rebecca Gibney is a Kiwi, one of a long list of Kiwis that Australia has tried to claim over the years, but she is a Kiwi. 
And she went to that series called um, Who Do You Think You Are? You know when I see that series where you go and some researchers go back and dig into your forebears? And she went back to New Zealand and the researchers uh, un- revealed to her some of her background story. One of her great-great-grandfathers was a bit of a dubious character in Wellington. But you also discover another great-great-great-grandfather came from Nelson, that lovely pocket of heaven top of the South Island. And uh, I thought, this is nice, and I was watching the series and recognised a lot of the places. And also, you know it, don't you, John? And uh, she discovered that her great-great-great-grandfather had been a trooper in Nelson and as part of his uh, militia services had actually been sent to Taranaki and been part of some of the Māori wars in Taranaki. Now, anyone of a New Zealand background would get a shiver up their back at that moment because Taranaki was the scene of a dreadful massacre where the troopers arrived, they were asked if they are coming in peace and they did not come in peace, they massacred a village. This is back in the 1880s. And uh, the scar of that moment still is incredibly raw in the Taranaki region as the memories of that betrayal and the, uh, the harm that was caused. Rebecca Gibney, having heard that, decided to travel to Taranaki and to hear more about the story that her great-great-great-grandfather as a trooper had been part of. And she was received by one of the Māori uh, women and she heard more of the dreadful story of how the muskets had come and had uh, wiped out a village. And she was just devastated to know that her her forebear, her great-great-great-grandfather, may have been part of it. She came back, having things been organised a few days later, for a perfiri. She came to the gate of the marae with her host and she was called forward. She approached with her head down in tears as she came and she was challenged, do you come in peace? And she gave an assurance that she came, I come in peace and I come with an apology. So as they had the exchange of stories, she heard the village there, the Māre, the Marae, the people of the Marae, tell the story of this massacre of their forebears and the harm that had been caused and a lot of the land that's now occupied by the wider area around Taranaki was, was snatched from their people, including the cathedral, by the way, which is another story again. And Rebecca Gibney, in her speech, apologised with tears for her her great-great-great-grandfather's part as a trooper, as part of that action. And then she was invited to come forward and to shake hands and of the woman that she told her story to, to have a hongi. They breathed together, tears rolling down their cheeks as they embraced. And she was welcomed as one. You are now us. And they shared a meal together. This isn't just a cultural ritual. It's a powerful moment of recognising and naming that history and the desire to get beyond the us and them into a space that 
is characterised by shalom, by peacemaking. Now, many Māori Christians see the Spirit of God at work in this custom and have a Christian version of it where they recognise that the Spirit of God is exactly enacting this moment. This seems to me to be a wonderful example of precisely what Paul was talking about in this passage. Through the gathering together, the work of reconciliation, the work in which the, uh, just to go back to that verse again, the making of peace in the one body, preaching of peace, the calling from those who are far away and peace to those who are drawn near, brings us to this moment of oneness that gets beyond the enmity and the grievances. So how does this passage then talk about it? Consequently, Paul says, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Māori would say members of our Māori, the people of our, our village. You are now us in this space. And actually that notion is incredibly strong in New Zealand. When the Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern responded to the Christchurch massacre, she said, this is dreadful because it's not that you had this. You are us. We failed you to provide the protection of our land. And hence they actually did apophiria as a way of grief in the haka that came as part of it built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together. So what does it look like to experience the Spirit? Yes, there are very personal experiences. For some, it's speaking in tongues and visions and all sort of special moments. You know, Fiona and I have shared some of those over the years that we look back to. But it is so much more than the personal experience. It's the spirit actually creating community amongst us. Now, church is not like Lego blocks. I am not particularly... I can do some Lego. John does Lego spectacularly well and is very creative. But unfortunately, when it comes to the building process of a church... Yous are not Lego blocks. You don't neatly all clip together and form a nice, neat space. We're more like those dry stone walls that takes quite a bit of work of how you get the fit working. And um, I'm, one of my life's ambitions, which I've yet to achieve, is to try and build a, li- a dry stone wall that doesn't collapse. You know, when they're done, it looks so wonderful until you have a go at it yourself and suddenly you realise they get very wonky. That's sort of like ministry in a church. We come with all different shapes and sizes and stories and experiences and it doesn't just happen that we come together. There has to be not only a work of will amongst us to do it, there needs to be the work of the Holy Spirit to do this building work within us. Because that verse doesn't just finish, in him the whole building is joined together. It continues and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Now, the temple started life as a tabernacle, the tent that was taken around in the wandering years. And the tabernacle was made up of a number of walls. There were those outside, 
those who come into the holy place beyond the outer wall of the tabernacle, those into the holy place were just the priests, and in the most holy place, the inner sanctum of the tabernacle, was only entered into once a year by one person, the high priest. So have all these walls holding people at a distance from the dwelling place of God, God's home. Now in time, the tabernacle became the temple. The first temple of Solomon was a a wonderful physical building that represented God's house. And to be drawn into it, you couldn't just stroll in. You had to be greeted and allowed and cleansed to be brought into that sacred space. So this holy temple is what we are now being built into as the body of Christ. In him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. When people want to experience the ministry and the presence of God, it is throughout the world and throughout our neighbourhoods and far wide, but it is manifested by the body of Christ and the gifts that are given to the body of Christ and the fruit of the Spirit that's evident in the body of Christ, that this mission of God takes root and is built around local churches like our own. That is what the Spirit looks like when it is entering and seeping into our hearts and into our culture as a church. That is why we celebrate on Pentecost, the coming of the Spirit, not just for our own personal edification, but for the work of God, the mission of God that gathers us, reforms us, renews us, and makes us, enables us to be agents, to be about the mission of God. And the chief actor of that mission is the Holy Spirit. More about that mission next week as we look at the Trinity. The Trinity is God and mission. But for now, let's just sit with that and pray and seek that working of God's Spirit in our midst as we continue to gather, as we continue to to bring peace, to be peacemakers, to be shalom makers in and through God's Spirit and in the name of his Son. Amen.